Well, turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 20. I am glad, as Pastor Chris said, that we all are baptized tonight. Uh, The word baptism means saturated. It means completely covered, immersed in the Lord. Well, you got immersed tonight on the way in. Amen. Somebody said it it literally stopped raining once you walked in the building tonight. So the Lord must have wanted us all to have a picture of baptism. So I'm glad we're all baptized tonight. Amen. Exodus 20 verse 14 is where we're going to be looking in God's word together this weekend. Well, I'm excited about the work that the Lord seems to be doing through this series that we're doing on the Ten Commandments together. Many of you have shared with me, the Lord is working in my life. God is speaking to me about several things, you know, different things, whatever it is in your life. And that's great. That's our goal, that God speaks to us, that we listen to Him as He speaks, that we obey His voice, and that ultimately life change happens. Amen? God speaks, we listen, we obey, and God changes our lives. How could you ever get tired of that? Amen? But this week the Lord spoke to me that there are very likely things that we have talked about in this series. Now listen to me. Because God might be saying to you right now, I have your number. There might be things that we've talked about that, that many of us have said, well, well, this part okay, this part okay, but that's too far. That's, that's taking it, that's a little bit much. I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm not going to be doing that. Friends, I, I want to challenge you if that is true. For some reason, we've acquired the ability the audacity even, if I could say that, to talk back to God. And we see these things that He's teaching us more like the ten really good suggestions. I mean, the ten, that would be really nice if it could happen that way, instead of the ten commandments. And if that is you, or if you've been tempted to feel that way, I want to read to you again that verse that we read about the manna. Do you remember that? About the manna and the Sabbath a few weeks ago, Exodus 16, verse 28, the Lord said to Moses, Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? How long? How long will you not just trust me? How long will you not just do what I say to do? Do you hear the heart of our Lord there? The reality is that we want God to work in our lives. Amen? We want God to bless us. We want God to lead us. But many times, we don't want to do what He's actually calling us to do. And the reality is, the truth is, we can't have it both ways. So I want to share this thought with you as we begin today. Just do what God says. Just do what God says. And and that's, listen, that's coming back to me, all right? Let's all just do what God says, don't try to negotiate for the part that you would like to do. Amen? That amen wasn't quite as strong as the previous. With that in mind, in our Ten Commandments series, we're talking about the Seventh Commandment. God says, do not commit adultery. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14, literally says that. It just very cleanly, very clearly, the Bible says in Exodus 20, God says... In Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not 
commit adultery. And there are several pieces to that commandment that I believe that the Lord wants us to consider together. And first of all, I want us to think of this part. The seventh commandment teaches us about something we were just talking about. Something we were just singing about. Write this down. Faithfulness is important to God. The commandment, do not commit adultery, is about faithfulness. Now, there's a couple of critical things that we've highlighted several times in this series. First of all, I've tried to bring it to your attention that that I want us to realize that this is kind of the first time that these people, that the world really, in this quite this way, that God was summarizing all of His commandments. He was about to give them the rest of the law, but He was kind of summarizing it in these Ten Commandments. And I think it's important for us to realize that. God was saying, I'm giving you the nation of Israel. I'm giving you the Jewish people, my people. I'm really giving you the world, my basic parameters for you. I think that's important. They were not just seeing this as, all Scripture is important, but, but they were not just coming into this not realizing that. God was saying, I'm trying to establish for you what I want for your life, some basic parameters for your life. This was kind of the first time they were really hearing it package quite this way. Secondly, there was a larger positive principle behind each of these commandments that reflected the heart of God. Remember, we've talked about that. Many of these commandments are negative, stated in a negative way. And we talked about, go, go back to the first message. If you want to dig in that, why, why would God do that? But, but, but behind those negative, eight of these are negative, two are positive. Behind those negative, there's a positive principle that is based upon the heart of a great God. Amen? So with that in mind, as we approach the topic of do not commit adultery, I think we need to realize that God was saying, this is one of my most important teachings for your life. I'm establishing for you some basic parameters that are important for you. And it involves a positive principle. Yes, do not commit adultery, but it involves a positive principle of faithfulness that is, yes, specifically related to marriage. But in your most important relationship, God is saying bigger than your parents. We said parents are pretty big, right? Parents are pretty big. We said parents are very, very important. More important than your children. God was saying in your most important relationship, which we're going to talk about in a moment, I'm laying down a very critical principle in your lives. I'm laying down a principle of faithfulness. Faithfulness is important to God. What does that mean? Well, I looked up the definition or some synonyms for faithfulness this week. Faithfulness means that you are true to your word. Now, as we're saying this, I just want you to build a picture in your mind. You can write down some notes if God speaks to your heart about something, but I just want you to see these different nuances. So we're getting a picture. God says something's important to him. What is he talking about? God says faithfulness, being true to your word is important. Faithfulness can be described as being thorough in the performance of your duties. You're given responsibilities and you carry out. That's faithfulness, right? I was given a job to do. I was given an assignment to do. And I was thorough. I was being as careful as I could to make sure that what I was given to do, that I'm going to carry that out. That's faithfulness. Faithfulness means you are steady in your allegiance. I like that. Amen. You, are, you have loyalty. You have commitments. 
And listen, nobody's this, amen? Nobody's this, amen? Nobody is steady in our allegiance, amen? Let's just be honest. That's our goal with God's help. We're shooting for that. I'm not saying we can't do it with God's help, but that's quite a goal, isn't it? Some synonyms, some words related to faithfulness. You are loyal. You are constant. You are devoted. You are trustworthy. I think of the terms dependable. A person who's committed. I like this. Never leaving. That's that constant, isn't it? That person is never going anywhere. You can count on this person through the ups and downs of life. Through the trials and the tribulations, through the joys and the pains, when the dust settles, if this person is faithful to me, I know, I know when it's all said and done, that person is still going to be standing right there. Amen? That's faithfulness, isn't it? I've always thought of it in terms of manning your post. And some of you are like, post? You know, today post means, you know, you put something on Facebook or Twitter. You know, that's not, not manning your post, okay? Not manning your posts online. Manning your post is, Drew and I sometimes like to, when the girls are away, you know, we like to watch John Wayne movies, you know? And so, John Wayne, man, we got to watch the horses and there's some outlaws. There's always, you know, it's just kind of like a regular story, but it's always exciting. And so, somebody's going to sleep and then somebody's going to man the post, right? Somebody's going to... Somebody's going to stand there and stay up all night and we're going to trust that they're going to keep an eye on us. That's what being faithful means. You're keeping a lookout in the places you're responsible for. That's your spouse. No matter what, we're together. Faithfulness. Through thick and thin. Through good and bad. We said in our vows, for better or worse, richer or poor, sickness and in health, till death do we part. I am with you, our kids. We're not going anywhere, are we? My kids. I mean, you you might struggle. Maybe sometimes your relationship isn't as close. Your extended family, to some extent. I mean, we're going to talk about maybe a need for separation on some level as we grow up. But still, I want to be faithful to my family. Amen? That they know I'm here for them. If they need me, uh, it's my immediate family that's most important, my priority. But still, I'm going to be faithful to my job. I'm getting paid to do some things. I'm getting, there's some things that happen, have to happen in, a, in this world. And an employer is saying it has value. So they're going to pay me and you to do that. And so I want to be faithful to fill, fulfill the assignment I've been given. Our ministries. Lord, help us. Amen. To be faithful. There's some things that God wants to happen. And I'm part of that. And I want to be faithful. Write this down. Being faithful means that I stay in the places where God puts me. And to the best of my ability, I do what God wanted me to do. Years ago, Shannon's dad gave me a cross stitch that's in my office. And many times I like to pass this cross stitch on to other young pastors because it's really emphasizing faithfulness. It says, go where you are sent, stay where you are put, and give what you have got. Let me say that again. God, I believe this represents the heart of God. Go where God tells you to go. Stay where God told you to go unless he tells you to go somewhere else. And give what God gave you to give. Just do what God sent you there to do. But the Bible says 
that is very difficult to find, isn't it? If you're a boss, you know that, amen? Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Man, I read that. I don't know about you. Don't feel guilt. Don't feel condemnation. If you fail, if you've messed up, don't say, that's not me. I'm not that. I'm terrible. No, you know what you ought to say? If you're a child of God, from this point forward, me, God, I want to be that. Amen? Not that I am. I'm not being arrogant. I'm not saying I am, but I'm saying, God, that's my heart. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? I hope over here, God, amen. I hope, help me, dear God, to be a faithful, trustworthy person. When I think of faithfulness, two thoughts come to mind. First of all, you ready for amen? All right, get your breath. You ready? God is faithful. Amen. I share with you guys that as I read the Bible, there's some things as I go through the Bible, sometimes I just stop. It doesn't matter what I'm reading. I just stop. I read a statement. I just stop. It doesn't matter what the next thing says. I read verses that say, God is faithful. I just have to stop there and say, amen. Amen. I love you. I just start singing a song. Amen. I just, I just start thinking about my life. I just start thinking about how good God's been to me. I just start thinking about how little boy, teenager, 20 year old, 30 year old, now 40s. God, he's the constant. Amen. You ought to think about those things when you go through God's word. And this is one of those statements. The Bible says that God is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation, no test has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. I just stop right there. I say, amen. Amen. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you may be able to endure it. People say, a little bit wrongly, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not true. Honestly, God always gives you more than you can handle. God will not give you more than you can handle with His help. Did you hear me? God will not give you more than you can handle if you're in His will. If you're relying upon His strength. God does, He constantly gives me more than I can handle. Amen? Anybody else? But God is faithful. That's what the Word of God says. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. There's another one. Just stop. It doesn't matter what the next thing says. For the Lord is good. Amen. He's good. Amen. Amen. Stop and sing a song. Amen. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. And His faithfulness to all generations. Good night. I I thought He was just faithful to me. He's going to be faithful to my kids. He's going to be faithful to my grandkids. I'm already praying for generations. Amen? He's going to be faithful to my great-grandkids. He was faithful to my dad and my mom and my grandparents and my great-grandparents. God is faithful to all generations. Aren't you glad, though, all people on some level will let you down through all generations? When the dust settles, God is still there. How awesome. But also God calls us to become faithful people. God calls us because we, God lives in us. His Spirit is working in us. He calls us to be trustworthy, faithful people. Again, we realize that to some extent, all of us will let other people down 
including me, including you, even our best efforts, yet faithfulness is something that God calls us. Friend, you should feel a little bit of a pull. You should feel a little bit of a, not a burden, not a guilt, but you should feel a challenge. You should feel like God's calling me to show more through my life, to grow in this area that people can count on me, that people can depend on me, that I'm not going anywhere, that I'm committed to other people in lifelong relationship. It's part of the evidence that God is at work in your life. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, by the way, I heard uh, 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 just a side note on the radio today. Isn't it interesting that joy is the second one mentioned? Christians, we ought to be a lot happier than we are, okay? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God calls Christians. If God is working in you, you're going to become a person that other people can depend on more. I'm not saying everybody can come to you and dump all their problems and you fix everything. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the assignments that God gives you, that you're going to be found more committed and more faithful more and more. Really, if you follow God for very long, and maybe some of you have never heard this before. To some Christians, this is very familiar. Some have maybe never heard this. And so I pray, pray that God plants a seed in your heart. This is our goal. Matthew 25, verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. He's talking about here on this earth. I will put you in charge of many things. He's talking about your reward in heaven. Enter into the joy of your master. There's that joy thing again, by the way. Faithfulness. Listen, God, and I'm not saying this is a cop-out. Hey, I want good things to happen. I'm shooting for, I'm expecting God to work. I'm expecting lives to change. I'm expecting things to happen. I'm expecting growth and kingdom advancement and all kinds of amazing things that you might say are success or results. But at the end of the day, there are many faithful people of God across the world, pastors preaching their heart out to churches that are doing this. Hmm. Is that all you got, preacher? You kidding me? I've told y'all before, if that was y'all, I'd say, yeah, that's all I got. See ya. I can't, I, I, I can't fight that. God bless pastors who've been faithful. God bless wives and husbands and, and co-workers who've been faithful and never seen the fruit. But really, that's what God calls us to, isn't it? Now again, don't use that as a cop-out. Christians say, oh, I just want to be faithful. I don't care if anybody ever comes to know the Lord. I don't care if any life ever changes. I'm just being faithful, brother. I'm just being faithful. Well, that's not exactly God's heart either. If you have God's heart, you want to see lives change. You want to see things happen. But I rest in the fact that if nothing good ever happened, I can't control that. What I can control is responding to God and being faithful to Him. Praise God, amen? That sets me free. For we're not just talking about marriage. God calls His people in all areas of our lives to a life of faithfulness. And I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. If you were to honestly evaluate your life right now, are you being faithful to stay in the places that you know God's put you and to do the things that you know God has called you to do? That's just between you and God, but 
That's a, that's a fair question, isn't it? Am I being faithful? Maybe even stronger than that, not always the final decision, but a good checkpoint, are the people you're called to be faithful to, how would they feel about your faithfulness? Would your spouse say, oh, absolutely, no doubt. Would your kids say, oh, absolutely. And again, that, that doesn't mean their opinion, their, their judgment is always correct. No, we understand that, and we'll talk about that another time. But I'm just saying, in, in all fairness, if they, not your assessment, if they assess, would that maybe be a little bit of a challenge? Are you a faithful person? God calls us to faithfulness. So before we even begin to talk about marriage, God emphasizes the importance of faithfulness in that seventh commandment. But it does speak strongly about marriage, right? So let's talk about that. Marriage is our most critical relationship and is to be honored highly. Remember, God is laying down these commandments, some of the most important foundational principles for our existence. He makes sure to include an element, an emphasis on faithfulness, but not just faithfulness in general. He's emphasizing faithfulness, especially in the most critical relationship we can have on this earth called marriage. God was establishing marriage and the integrity of marriage staying together as super important. Now, before we even start this, I realize that, listen, we're talking about truth. We're talking about principles and there's lots of different applications of this. There's lots of different life situations. There are people who've been married, but you're not now. There are people who've never been married and maybe never desire to be married. So there's lots of different... But listen, as we, as we learn God's Word, we need to let God speak to us about the principles and let Him apply it as it applies to us. Even if you've never been married, never intend to be married, you can affirm the value, the role of marriage in this world, right? That's what God's establishing. Why? Why is it that marriage is so important? And to answer that question, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Matthew 19, 3 through 6, Jesus is having a conversation, and he talks about marriage. He says some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him. By the way, they didn't come really wanting to know truth. They came wanting to get him in trouble, so ultimately they could crucify him. Okay? We need to be careful about that, don't we? We need to be careful not just coming to God so we can prove Him wrong or so we can tell Him how that doesn't work or whatever. But honestly, come to Him and say, God, speak to me. God, show me. I'm trying to understand. It's, it's okay to struggle, amen? It's okay to say, I don't understand. Maybe even honestly, God, I don't quite like this. You know, I need you to help me. That kind of heart. God, the Bible says, God does not turn away contrite, broken, humble hearts. Praise the Lord, Amen. But he resists the proud. And these were proud people. It says some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And by the way, if you don't know this passage, if you don't know this culture, that was a packed question. They were really trying to trick Jesus and pit Jesus into one of two camps who argued about that very question. And he answered and said, have you not read? I love that. <laughs> these religious, that's like, Jesus went to a ministerial meeting. And he said, haven't y'all read the Bible? And they went, excuse me? Of course, I have a doctorate in Bible. 
Jesus said, have you boys not read back there, like the first page? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, the man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. No man must separate. Now again, the context of the conversation is bigger. And actually it goes through about verse 12, talking about marriage. But for our purposes, I want to focus on verses 3 through 6. Let's make some observations from what Jesus shared about the importance of marriage. First of all, marriage has always been a key part of God's foundation, God's building block. Really, I like this idea. God's launching pad for our lives called the home. At creation, God established the home as the foundation of our lives and His work in our lives, and marriage as a key component of that, which is why many of us are struggling today. Our homes Our launching pad, our foundation has been shattered. So our base has been broken up. And by the way, it's not that that cannot be recovered. Please don't misunderstand. We're talking about principles. We're talking about God's purpose, God's plan, God's overarching truth that He wants us to know and understand and live. But God also makes provision that we are sinners and we've messed that up. Amen. So please do not say... Because mine is damaged. We're God forsaken or past the point of no return. God can bring healing. Amen? God must bring healing because we've all messed up. Amen? All right, so we're learning, though, that marriage is a part of that foundation, not a key part. Second thing is marriage teaches us how to work with other people. Have you ever thought about it as you read that? God created them, Adam and Eve. God created them... Husband and wife. God created them male and female. In other words, write this statement down. God created Adam and Eve different, but meant to be together. God intentionally. The differences in marriage were by design, not by destruction. We want to say, oh, that's part of the fall. No, God created man one way. And female, another male one way, and female, and God was teaching us from the beginning lots of lessons. Okay, I usually like amens, but be very judicious with your amens for the next few moments. God was teaching us from the beginning how to be patient with other people who aren't like me. God was teaching us from the beginning how to work with other people, how to appreciate differences and utilize those as strengths, but not fight them as a negative. So much like we said about parents, listen, and get this picture. So God used your parents to help you kind of kickstart your life and to realize there's other people and I got to relate to them and how all that begins to happen. But God, if you're married, God gave you a spouse for the rest of your life. For you to work those things out together. Really, that's one of the main purposes. We could even say benefits, if we see it correctly, of marriage. If you are married, God uses our marriage above all other relationships 
to bring about the growth in your lives. The third thing, in these verses, marriage provides the opportunity for healthy human flourishing. God's plan was for us to leave one home and start another one. Now, if, you, if you've been in church a while, and maybe you heard the old King James, they used to say, leave and cleave. God called them to leave and cleave. That sounds kind of like not, that doesn't sound positive. Cleave does not sound very nice. I don't use that word, right? The, the word today, maybe some of your more modern English translations, use things like God called us to leave. The word actually is pretty strong. God called you to leave your old house where you grew up to forsake it, actually. Now, think about that. God said your parents are super, super important. But in comparison with your spouse, your relationship with your parents is almost like you forsook them. Now, obviously, God is not saying that. But God is, for emphasis, saying to us, in comparison, that is how important your relationship is with your spouse. You leave, in a sense, you totally separate. In a sense, I'm still part of my extended family. But in another sense, I'm not with them. I'm more with my spouse now. And so I have a respect and I, and, I, and I have a great gratefulness for my heritage and for the foundation that I started with. But now there's a possibility of new directions, of new traditions, of new opportunities as new homes are formed, new children, new places they'll go, new decisions will be made, new directions they'll take. In Genesis 1:28, God said, go, fill the earth. Go, fill the earth. Just go do things. Go. That's what God's establishing in marriage. That new homes will be started. That new things will happen as we grow, as our families grow and flourish throughout this earth. Now, I want you to know something. When God said this to Adam and Eve, they're probably like, what's a mom and dad? You ever thought about that? For for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother. What's a mom and dad? A man shall leave his father and mother. They didn't have a mom and dad. Isn't that interesting? Who are we leaving? And actually, God was showing us through them we ought to have an attitude of there's no other options. I mean, admittedly, Adam and Eve were pretty awesome, but there were no other choices. Adam and Eve weren't going to say, I don't like this one. What else you got, God? You know, is there somebody else kind of halfway, is there somebody else halfway around the world that we could sort of work out a deal for? You know, I'm kind of thinking I'd like him to be a little bit taller, you know, whatever. No, God was teaching us through them, this is your spouse. And I want you to work it out together. We should be more like that, right? Also, this is why some of our marriages really struggle. Listen to me. Some of us have not left mom and dad and been glued together. That word cleave really is better cemented, glued together with your spouse. Glued together means no one can come between you. I mean, the two have become one. We're about to get to that. The fourth thing is, in these verses, marriage gives us our best opportunity to show true love and commitment. When it says that God wanted the husband and wife to be glued together, that can actually be translated, as I said, cemented or 
I like this, super glued together. You ever accidentally get super glue on your finger? It will not come off. You have to like take a file and like literally rub you. So you just have to just let it wear off, right? Super glue was not intended to come off. When you put two things super glued together, that's, it's not supposed to be torn apart again. And that is exactly God's picture for us for marriage. God's intention, which is why when we divorce, when those breakups happen, which is why it is so incredibly painful for our lives. Because God never intended for that, that union, once it was made in this life, for it to ever be broken again. You see, we need to know that someone in this world accepts us no matter what. No matter what our income is, no matter what our house looks like, no matter how many kids we have or if we can have kids or if we don't, or no matter what our college education, no matter what our health is, no matter what, God is faithful, and I've got somebody in my life. If God calls me to be married, and for many, if not most of us in this world, that's God's plan for us many times. If God calls us to be married, He put that person so that I could be that to them and so that they could be that to me. The last thing is this. Marriage is our closest relationship in this life. There's no other relationship where you could say the two shall become one. God's intention... Very clearly, friends, is one man, one woman, committed together in the relationship of marriage for a lifetime. Now that's certainly symbolized to the highest extent by the sexual relationship, but that is the culmination of a spiritual, emotional, and psychological openness that they have with one another. The two shall become one. They're still distinct, we know that, but in a special sense, they've been joined together in a special way. And again, who is accomplishing this? Nobody perfectly. But this is our goal, right? At least we know what the intention was, so we can shoot for that. The closeness of this relationship is brought out in Ephesians 5, when, when God leads Paul to compare it with our salvation. While marriage is not eternal, like our salvation, it is permanent. What that means, it is for life. And in that way, it's the closest to picturing our relationship with God. C.S. Lewis said that marriage, that sexual union, that faithfulness, total faithfulness, gives us a security when it's, when it's experienced the way God intended, a security, a joy, a reflection of God's love that is a foretaste of our joy to come. So God gives us a commandment that emphasizes this critical part of our lives and faithfulness to it. In fact, adultery was so serious, violating that commitment in the Old Testament was so serious that it was most often used by the prophets as the image when God was speaking to his people about how they had moved so far away from God. They had committed adultery. They had been unfaithful in their marriage, in their total commitment relationship to God. And the consequences in the Old Testament were actually the death penalty. Leviticus 20, verse 10. Now, thankfully, we're not under that covenant anymore. Amen? Thankfully, that was the old covenant. That was for the Jewish people, not us. Thankfully, Jesus has now died the death that we should all die. Amen? Praise God for that. But it's still, that reality still serves to show us the importance of it, right? This is a big deal to the Lord. And we should not take that covenant lightly.
Now, as I share those things, I realize that there are very likely many adulterers in this room right now. And friend, what I would say to you is this. You've got to turn to the Lord. We're all sinners. That is, you are not God forsaken. That is not the worst of all. God has not written you off. There may be a lot of challenges. There may be a, because all of us have sin, right? And that sin has brought consequences, and that can be difficult. But God wants to help you. God wants to deliver you from that. God wants to forgive you for that. God wants to bring healing through that. But you've got to bring it to the Lord. He will help you, but you've got to trust Him. So God uses this commandment not to commit adultery, to emphasize faithfulness, to emphasize the importance of marriage. And the last thing is, in a broader way, God calls His people to sexual purity. Now, specifically, this verse is talking about marriage and purity in marriage. That's why the word adultery is used. Adultery is being unfaithful sexually, even in a broader way, beyond sexually, when you're married, being unfaithful. But there's a broader word in the Bible. Immorality is a broader word that means any sexual sin. And one Bible teacher said this, the seventh commandment, while dealing specifically with the marriage relationship, is God also addressing the need for sexual purity in general for His people. This contrasts greatly with the infidelity or unfaithfulness. We said God's calling us to faithfulness that we talked about earlier. It contrasts greatly with the unfaithfulness and promiscuity, which basically means loose living, especially sexually. So this commandment to be sexually pure was a great contrast with the peoples around them. And it is a great contrast with the peoples around us today. Amen? We said a few weeks ago that what we've been learning might sound like lessons from Mars. Even for God's people. Even for people who are open to God. I think that most of us here would not be surprised that God is speaking to us about sexual sin. I mean, we kind of knew, whether from church or whatever, whatever exposure we've had to God, we knew that this was not okay. But to most people that you work with, you go to school with, having any sort of limit to sexual activity is, what planet are you from? I can do whatever I want to, whenever I want to. I remember when Bill Clinton was president with all of his immorality. And I remember our country basically saying, does that really matter? Does that really matter? Now, it started way before President Clinton, and it's continued on well after. But it's a great example of how, of how our culture feels about this. It's either not an issue, or it's maybe not the best, but is it really that bad? I hope that right now that you're getting a picture. Friends, listen. God is speaking to His people. You are in the midst of a culture that this is not the reality. I'm speaking to my people because I want you to... I hope somebody right now is having a wow moment. I hope somebody's saying, wow, I, I know this, I've heard this, but I'm seeing it more clearly than I've ever before. Wow, I've fallen into a trap. I've heard all these voices and all these influences, and I kind of let that be kind of normal thinking, and God was sort of like, really, God, you know? But now I'm seeing this is God's way, and wow, wow, we've been pulled down a route 
that God never intended. Listen to what God's word says. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 through 20. It says, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now this is a broader, this is talking about many things related to our bodies. But it's certainly here specifically talking about sexual sin. In one message that I did years ago, I actually came in and spray painted on the wall. And he's like, oh, oh, wow, you, you did graffiti on the church, on God's house. This ain't God's house. I mean, in the truest sense, this is God's stuff. This is part of God's work. But this is God's house. We would be amazed if we walked in, there was graffiti all over the walls. But maybe we don't realize that really, it's, this is the temple of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Stop right there. Don't look, don't look, don't look. Don't look, don't look, look at me. For this is the will of God. Say, so what? What? Tell me. Keep reading. What is the will of God? I want to know the will of God. Amen? A lot of people say, I want to know God's will. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That you have become more and more like Christ. That is specifically that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's will is not for us to be sexually immoral people. That's what that exactly is saying. Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Specifically related to Matthew 5 in those verses. While physical adultery, just like murder we talked about, certainly causes more damage in this world, it doesn't have to be just physical to be adultery. Just like murder, it can happen in your heart. In fact, friends, I'm going to be honest with you. Pornography is one of the secret, absolute epidemics of our church family. I'm not going to say of the people of God. I'm going to say this place. It absolutely is tearing apart lives. That's adultery in our hearts. Immorality in our hearts. So let me give you some instruction that God would give us from His Word. Write these thoughts down. I want you to go back home and chew on these things. Think through these things. Talk about these things with your, with your accountability partner in your growth group. Number one, walk closely with God. How can I, how can I avoid, how can I deal with sexual sin? The best thing you can do for any sin is, first of all, know God, and secondly, stay close to Him daily. If you're struggling with sexual sin right now, I would ask you, are you sincerely walking closely with God every day? Are you reading His Word? Are you seeking to understand it? Are you actively pursuing? Friends, listen, we have a low standard for what it means to be a Christian. I'm not trying to make it like hard, like you signed up for the military, get down and do 50 push-ups, that's what it's going to be here at New Hope. That's not what I'm saying. Thank God we're set free. There's, there's really no burden. There's no obligation in that sense. I'm set free. I'm a child of God. Praise God. Amen? But I would like to experience all that God has for me. So I'm going to be intentional. I want to pursue the will of God for my life. Amen? Are you actively pursuing with a determined intent the will of God for your life? That leads us to the next thing. Focus on God's good plan for you not the temptation. Many times I say, can't do that, can't do that, don't look at that, don't go there, don't do that. 
We need to focus on the good things that God has for us, not the things that we can't have. Do you know what God has for you? Do you know what God's purpose is for you? Do you know what God's calling in your life is? Are you focusing on that? What? Listen, I love this thought. Because when I realize the enemy is trying to tear up my life, I get ill. I say, oh, I didn't realize it. Listen to this, friends. What good thing is the enemy trying to destroy or distract you away from that God is wanting to bring into your life? I'm not kidding. I'm going to tell you something. We have had a strong prayer ministry in our church family, but not recently. But with God's help, and I need your help, that's about to change. Because the enemy is at work, and we're going to get on our faces and ask God to help us. Amen? And one of the things that I do is I say, no, no, by God's grace. I'm not foolish. I'm not as strong as the enemy. But the enemy does not even compare to my God. And I'm going to focus on God, not the enemy. I'm going to focus on his good plan, not the things the enemy's trying to counterfeit for that good plan. Number three, be afraid of what sin does, especially sexual sin. Sexual sin is very strong. It's very addictive. It's very destructive. Fear that. Hate that. Sure. Listen, I always say if sin wasn't fun, nobody do it. There is an element to sexual sin that is enjoyable for a short season. I'm going to give you the image. Some of you heard me share this before that I use in my mind. Proverbs, you need to read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Please read those chapters. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Proverbs 5, just to give you a summary. Verse 3, For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. It seems so right. It sounds so good. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. I just think when I read that verse, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Listen, I've told you before, be weird. If a lady's flirting with you at a restaurant, be weird. It works. It's not tempting. I don't want to die. Sharper than a two-edged sword. I'm not saying I'm not tempted, okay? I don't want to give that impression. I'm trying to encourage us. We need to let God change our desires, amen? Her feet go down to death. Her, her steps take hold of Sheol. If that guy looks so hot, if that lady looks so hot, I just want you to imagine you're watching a movie and all of a sudden, once you touch, once you connect, they morph into a dragon that are grabbing. I'm not kidding you. Pastor Rob, you're, you're crazy. Yes, I'm crazy. And, and I'm listening to God's word. Her claws are grabbing hold of your grave. I don't want to die. That's not tempting. Now again, I know, things look pretty, things look handsome, things look nice, things seem right, but you just got to imagine, that person is a dragon. That's not tempting. I'm afraid of that. I don't want me to die, I don't want my family to die. I'm telling you, it works. You, don't, you do it your way, but I'm just telling you, be weird and be afraid. Number four, <laughs> Have safeguards of protection in place in your life. Make a decision. I'm not going to do certain things. I'm not going to go to certain places. By God's grace, I'm not going to put myself in tough situations. Whatever that means, 
When a temptation is presented, run! The Bible doesn't say to stand strong with sexual temptation. It says run! 1 Corinthians 6 said flee! Genesis 39 verse 12, when Joseph was tempted, the lady grabbed hold of him in her house. And he said, I don't care, I'm getting out of here. And she jerked his clothes off, literally. He said, I don't care, I'm getting out of this place. The Bible says, run from sexual temptation. Be accountable to other people. Be accountable to other people to help you stay away from it. Or when you get involved with it, to confess it to. Honestly, for many of us, this is the missing piece. I've told you before, when it's between me and God, I talk God out of it, right? But it's when it's between me and you, God doesn't let me talk him out of it because you say, quit blowing smoke, Robbie. You need to get your act together. In love, I love you, brother, but you're blowing smoke, right? We need people like, if you're serious, I'm just asking if you're serious. The last thing is, if necessary, take drastic measures. If you read ahead in Matthew 5, Matthew 5 Verses uh, 27 through 29 that we read just a moment ago, or 28. At the end of verse, verse 29, it says, If your right eye makes... This is right after. Saying, be, be, if you look at someone, commit adultery in your heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. In other words, get rid of even otherwise important stuff if you're in a life-saving situation. Most normal people have a phone, have a cell phone, have a smartphone, have a TV, have a laptop. But if my choice is have a laptop or die, I can live without a laptop. I mean, there are people in the world that live without laptops. There's hardly anybody that lives without a cell phone, but you can be the first. Amen? Take drastic measures. For a season, I'm not going to have internet. I'm not going to have a computer. I'm not going to have a tablet. It might be, you got to go through a program. Man, we got, we got to get this licked. we got to deal with this and move on with the life that God has for us. It might be go to some counseling. Take drastic measures. You know, I've heard before when it's regarding counseling, people say, I don't have the money to go to counseling. I heard somebody say, well, you will. You'll just give it to the attorneys later. You're going to pay for it. So let's just go ahead and do it now. I don't mean that to be overly strong. I'm just, I'm encouraging you. Friends, let's don't just come and have warm fuzzies. Amen? Let's do business. And you've got to let God speak to you at wherever you're at. You know, right now, why God brought you here to hear this message. And I want to ask you to let him to do, to do that work right now. Would you bow with me as we do that? Just be still. Don't zip up your Bible cover if you have one. Don't grab your stuff. This is just as important as anything we've done so far, if not more. God... I am sorry for what I've done. Would you start with that? God, I'm sorry for my sin. Just start right there. God, I know what I've done. What I am doing is wrong. 
And the first thing I need to do is admit that to you. And then, God, I need to ask you, if you're a child of God, God, would you cleanse me of that sin? I don't want to carry that guilt, that condemnation anymore. I want to be set free. I want to live. I want to pursue your will, your purpose for me. I don't want to live in this. I'm tired of it. God, help me. What does that mean, Lord? Has he given you instruction today? Has he, has he given you something that you can take? Accountability? Counseling? Getting rid of something that otherwise is important, but it's not as important as saving your life? Or your marriage? Or your home? Wherever you are, would you just let God work right now? Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. He's a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. It's not true what he's telling you. You're not God forsaken. You're not good for nothing. You're not old news. It's not over for you. A lot might have been broken, but the God we've been talking about and singing about and following, he is a God of redemption. He can restore. He can heal. He can make things that were broken be brought back to life. Praise his name. Trust him right now. Friend, if you don't know him, that sexual sin is an indicator of a bigger issue. That your sin has separated you from God. It's a problem every person in this room has. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the Bible says, if we will trust in him, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who trust in his name. Would you right now say, Jesus, I have sinned against you. Whether it was sexual sin or something else, I have sinned against you. I need you to forgive me for my sins. I need you to come into my life and be my Savior. I give you my life. Help me to follow you. God, we love you today. These are hard teachings. Because they're where we live. And there's a lot of complications to it. God, I pray that nothing's been misunderstood. I pray that, that God, you would speak directly to the point of every person's need in this room. Whatever we need to do with what we've heard today. Help it to be clear. And help us to have the courage to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.